had said this, he went on ahead. He was going up to Jerusalem. He approached Bethphage and Bethany. The hill there was called the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent out two of his disciples. He said to them, go to the village ahead of you. As soon as you get there, you will find a donkey's colt tied up. No one has ever ridden it. Untie it and bring it here. Someone may ask you, why are you untying it? If so, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found the young donkey. It was there just like Jesus told them. They were untying the donkey with the colt when its owners came. Of course, they asked him, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They replied, the Lord needs it. Then the disciples brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their coats on the young donkey and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their coats along the road. Jesus came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives. There, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God with great joy. In loud voices, they praised him for all the miracles they'd seen. They shouted, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. May there be peace and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd spoke to Jesus, Teacher! They said, tell your disciples to stop. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you so much for Joanna, that she's here with us today to teach, to share her love for the word and her love for you. Open our eyes and our hearts to see, to hear, to receive the word that you have for us. May your peace, your shalom be on Joanna as she speaks. Let her hear your voice as she moves forward teaching us. Thank you so much for the gift she is to us. Amen. Is that your phone, Chris? Hi, friends. So good to see you. Hi, everybody. It's such a pleasure. Hello. I know that there's a few people listening on the podcast, too. So hi, friends in TV land. Um, We are internet land. So we're continuing a series right now called a sustainable outward focus. And sustainability is a bit of a buzzword these days, but it's, it's one we're really trying to get our heads and our hearts and our lives around as a church. Um, it's something that, you know, just conversationally has come up in the past few years, very, you know, different ways that we don't want the distinction of being a church that's really good at helping people recover from burnout. That's a lousy distinction. So it's great that, and I can say that with because I'm, I am one of the, like, here I am. But we love the grace and the f- space that's given to help us when we go through hard times. But one of the things that we've been focusing on as a church, as most of you know, is how to just get healthier. And one of the things that we have been, as we've been focusing on that, we want to know how to have lives that have a focus that isn't just about us, but how to extend the love that we've received and the grace that we've received from Jesus out into the world and out into our community, but in a way that we're not wasted because of it. And so we've been going through the lectionary readings. And for those of you who aren't familiar with this idea of the lectionary, the, the universal or the wider Christian church, so many mainline denominations, the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, many other Christian churches, follow a set series of readings throughout the church year. <clears throat> and that you can find what those readings are just by Googling the word lectionary. So it's a set set of readings. And it's actually really cool because there are probably millions of Christians who are focusing on these verses. And right now, This is a week that in the the universal church calendar we call Holy Week because we're headed towards next Sunday, which is 
Easter Sunday in the church calendar where Jesus rises from the dead. But that means that this week is the week that we remember that journey that Jesus took going into Jerusalem and then going to Calvary, going, going through his trial. That's what we commemorate on Good Friday is him, his death on the cross. And then on Easter Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate his rising again. So I really want to invite you in whatever way or whatever practice suits you to take some time this week to journey with those readings in the word, either just looking in it at the Gospels through your Bible or by Googling the lectionary to see what are those select readings that are readings. And I really encourage you and invite you to come be a part, if you're able to, if your schedule fits, to come be a part of our Good Friday service. My heritage is that I grew up in the Catholic Church, and as a child, I loved the uh, symbolism of what would happen in the sanctuary. I'm a very visual person, and I love color, and I love the aesthetics of what's around me. And um, we have a little bit of that here in that we meet in an, in an old Anglican church. So we do have some colors behind us here. And those are the colors of Lent, which are colors of mourning. But traditionally, in, uh, in, in a traditional church, they would take down all the decorations on Good Friday. And where we would have any statue or image of Jesus in the church, it would be completely covered. And then on Easter Sunday morning, there would be an explosion of color and flowers and, and beauty. And so even if I didn't get all of the pieces of the, the journey, as a kid, I knew there was this journey from death to life. And so as Kirsten just read, here we are with Jesus entering into Jerusalem today on this day that's become known as Palm Sunday. Although funnily enough, if you're not um, familiar with scripture or Bible readings today and you've listened to our reading, you'll be like, why is it called Palm Sunday? Well, we just happen to be reading from the Gospel of Luke this year, and Luke is the only guy that doesn't mention palms. He just mentions coats, coats and cloaks. But we have a tradition where we always keep the, this is a joke I read online, I'm totally going to use it because it was so good and cheesy, but it was like, we, if we keep the palms from one year and then we burn them for the ashes the next year, we are not going to burn everybody's coats. It's good, you're safe, we're totally fine. So um, we call it Palm Sunday because in all the other gospel readings, there is this story of how not only people took off their coats and threw their coats in the road for Jesus and put their coats on this donkey, but people also just stripped branches off the trees, and the trees that happened to be in that area were palm trees, and so they waved branches. Um, but it was also an allusion as we're here to that psalm that we read this morning, that Psalm 118 that said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and we wave boughs of welcome. So this whole story is just steeped in symbolism and people in that culture knew what was going on. So we're going to get it, we're going to go through it a little bit just to give some context. So this, um, this verse starts by saying, after Jesus had said this, well, if you want to go back and look, you'll be able to see what it was that he said. But essentially, in the Gospel of Luke, there's the story of him meeting a man named Zacchaeus, and then Jesus tells a story. And he tells a story to the people that were listening and some, also some teachers. And it's essentially a story about a king. And a king that's a harsh king and a king that doesn't treat his people well. And it, he essentially seems to be asking, what kind of king do you want to have? And then embarks on this series of events that are all about kingship. And so that's why this subtitle is, Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. And as I mentioned Jesus has been journeying towards Jerusalem. So one of the things that's interesting that I, I learned researching this is that Luke is really focused in his gospel on this journey towards Jerusalem. He meant, he goes like nine, in Luke nine, he starts talking about it. So all, there's references all the way along, like as Jesus started journeying towards Jerusalem or as the days came towards him, he set his face towards Jerusalem. So that was something that was really focused. And there's a reason why, and it's because that city had significance in that culture. It's a bit like how we know in our culture, you know, that Ottawa is the city or the seat of our government, or New York City is where you go for Broadway, or, you know, Washington, D.C., for, you know, Paris is the city of love. Jerusalem 
was the city that killed the prophets. Good old Jerusalem. He, Jesus even says that at one point. Way to go, Jerusalem. But it was also the city where um, it was a center of spiritual and, and religious and cultural stuff. The, the, the head teachers that had been coming to check Jesus out, they were from Jerusalem. And people in that culture expected the Messiah to be revealed there. They expected the king to be revealed in Jerusalem. So it was, it had, people knew it in that culture. If you were going into Jerusalem, it, it meant a thing. There's other places in scripture, and I'm sorry, I have quite a few notes today because I refer to different places in scripture, and I'm not going to read all of them. So on the green thing, if you want to go back and reference, you can look. Um, but a couple places in scripture, it's actually referred to as the city of the great king. So everything in this narrative has been pointing towards setting up Jesus as king. And up until now, he's actually been quite selective as to who he lets say that. Like you'll re- remember, I'm sure, those of you who've been reading the Bible for years and years, there's lots of times where Jesus says, don't tell people who I am, or keep this quiet, or don't say anything about this. But that shifts in this story. He really allows people to, to worship him in this space. And, um, and you'll see there's this business with a donkey. <laughs> and it seems to have lots of emphasis. It's like, go to the village, and then you're going to get there, and then you're going to find the colt tied up, and then they're going to say, the Lord needs it, and then they found the donkey, and then they were untying the donkey, and why are you untying the colt? And there's this whole thing. And it's one of those things where it's like, what's the deal? Like, who cares? And it's because it was a fulfillment of scripture from the Old Testament. So this is a verse from the book of Zechariah, and this is what it said. Say to the daughter of Zion, right, the people, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So it's interesting because in John's gospel, John is really honest, and he says, we didn't know at the time, that this is what all this meant. John says in the gospel, the disciples did, we did not get it. We didn't get it until Jesus was revealed. So at the time, they're like, okay, go get a donkey now and come to this guy. But this morning I was doing um, uh, uh, this meditation. I found a cool app that I've been trying out this week where it's, it's these different kinds of meditations through the word. And this one was one where you imagined yourself in a story, and it was the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And our gospel reading last week was about Jesus being in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Mary anointing Jesus for burial. But through this wonderful imaginative meditation that I did this morning, one of the things that this person leading leading through the meditation said was, you know, how do you feel when um, Jesus asks you to move the stone? when he's been dead for 40. You know, who are you in this? So I imagined I was Joanna because Joanna was one of Jesus' disciples. That's who I'm actually named after, was one of the women that traveled with Jesus and helped support his ministry. Just saying. I was like, who'd you be in the story? I'd be Joanna. So I was imagining it, but then I thought, man, after that, the donkey would have been nothing. Like, really? He's already raised Lazarus from the dead. He's already moved the stone. He already had the dead guy come out. They already took off the bandages. So at this point, I'd like to think the donkey was not even a thing. Like, really, if they said, go get a donkey, be like, well, he knew about Lazarus. So, okay. But, um, but again, there's significance to this because it goes back to scripture. There's a, a writer that I found online, um, Ian Paul, who seems to be an Anglican clergyman. He's, he's fantastic. It was a great, he wrote this great write-up about this story. And he says, what's all the focus on untying? He says, again, it's because in Genesis 49, when um, the blessing is given to each of the sons of, of Abraham and he blesses Judah, he, he talks about... Um, that the sign of the coming one, who's the true ruler of Judah, to whom all the nations will submit, is the one who ties and unties the donkey. Who knew? So the whole process is wrapped in significance. And we have cultural significance like this in our culture. We just don't always notice it because, like, we fly flags at half-mast. We know what that means. Um, My husband Wade's dad was a cowboy. He was an old cowboy. 
And at his funeral, they had a time where all the cowboys lined up, and they had a riderless horse with Hank's saddle on it, and the boots turned backwards in the saddle. And all the cowboys took their hats off as his saddle went by. And nobody needed to translate that for us because it was evident within our culture those were woven in. We kind of got that. We got what that would mean. And so I use that as an example because this wasn't a mystery to anybody here what was happening. All these things that were happening were significant and it was clear that Jesus was saying, I am the king. I'm letting myself be the king right now. Um, and so uh, when I was reading over this, I had an interesting experience in preparing this sermon, and I feel a bit almost uh, silly about the fact that it feels like the, maybe the first time it's happened. But I was studying on Monday and had gone over this for quite a few hours. Like I'd set aside the morning and I'd, I'd been reading all different things and researching scripture and doing different stuff. And it was good. I felt like I had been studying, but I didn't, I forget who said it. It's somebody quoting somebody saying, right? You don't, you don't know if you've got a hold of the word or if the word got a hold of you. And I, the word hadn't got a hold of me. And I was walking to the store and I suddenly had an idea that I could actually ask Jesus about it. Because um, one of the things, if you're not familiar with the way that we operate within the Vineyard Church, but we really believe that God still speaks to us today. And so this is part of the gift that I've received being a part of the Vineyard now for 20 years. And it's also a gift I have. Is I'm, I'm a part of a, a missions organization called Youth of the Mission. And we're an interdominational missions organization. But one of the key beliefs of our mission and our culture there is that we believe that God speaks to us. Um, so... We believe that we can ask God a question and that God will actually answer us. Now, it's not always that simple and you don't always hear stuff and sometimes it's really unclear and that's a whole other topic of teaching. So if you don't understand what I'm saying by that, you can talk to me more about it later. But I just want to preface it by saying, I believe that I can ask Jesus stuff and that he'll answer me. And so I was walking to the store and I suddenly realized that I was talking to the person that the story was about, and that he was in the story, and that I could ask him about the story. So it literally, in my head, went, hey, Jesus, this was you on the donkey. What do you want our, us, our vineyard community, what do you want us to know about this? Like, what do you want to tell us about this? And he answered me. And I get to tell you what he said, which is so amazing. It's the best way. I mean, it still took me the rest of the week to, like, figure out how to write it down and put it in notes and make a PowerPoint. But it was unbelievable. So I got to tell you, <laughs> Jesus gave me an answer. I'm going to share it with you today. So I submit it to you. Um, so these, uh, what I felt like Jesus said was he said the two things that he wanted our community to know about this story were, was about obedience and about joy, which I loved. So I'm going to unpack for you what I think that meant. So um, the first thing I felt like Jesus was saying in obedience is this idea that in, our, in my YWAM, in my Youth of the Mission YWAM culture, we call making Jesus Lord but, or making Jesus King. But what it basically means is that if you are calling yourself a follower of Jesus, you are submitting every part of your life to him. And taking an inventory at different times of your life, if there's any part that you kind of are not really giving over. And I had a conversation with my son about this this week. Most of you know Pax. He's nine. His brain is wired in the most interesting way, and he's a super honest guy. And so sometimes that's not good, like when you're somewhere and he's like cooking something, eating something that someone cooked and says, this tastes awful. You know, like you're like, no, no, manners, manners. No, that's not whatever. But there's other times where his honesty is so helpful. And we were driving in the car this week and I was telling him about a young friend of ours who'd been baptized. And I said, did you know that, you know, little so-and-so, he's, he's seven, he decided to be baptized. I said, what do you think about that? And he said, uh, I've always been very hesitant to get baptized because I don't like the idea of anybody pushing me underwater. 
And I said, oh, fair enough, okay. Well, do you know that there are other ways of being baptized? Like I was talking about the font of the church. I said, do you remember when Sophia got baptized and we were at the spray park and she and Papa Gordy talked about it and prayed about it and then Papa Gordy blessed the spray park and Sophia ran through the spray park and he said, oh yeah, I think that would be good. You know, I might do that. I said, well, you have to decide that you're going to let Jesus be the boss over your life. And he said, oh. I said, it means like you decide to commit that whatever you do in your life, you pray and ask God about it. So I said, that's what daddy and I do. Like if we're going to take a new job or sometimes if, even if we're going to teach or we're going to go on a trip somewhere, we ask Jesus what he thinks about it and we try and listen to what he says and we try and do what he says. And so that's what it means. Like Jesus is the boss of your life. And he said, oh, well, I don't really know how I feel about that which is totally not the answer I thought he was going to give. I mean, he's, we bring him here every week, whether he likes it or not. And uh, what the heck? That was not the Sunday school answer. I thought it was going to be like, yeah, I want to follow Jesus forever. But I liked it because he said, huh, well, I'd really have to think about that. And I said, okay, fair enough. And I said, I kind of thought you already lived that way. I mean, you do prayers with me a lot, and we do ask Jesus about a lot of things. He said, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm really going to have to think about it. Can we talk about it another time? And I was like, yeah, I mean, he was done. But in pre preparing this sermon, I thought, yeah, that's really true. And, and I think there's a point where we do need to do an inventory. And sometimes, you know, I think there's times where we ask God what he wants, and then we don't, we don't listen. We don't do what he says, and then we wonder why he's, you know, maybe not talking to us. <laughs> I, I appreciated the careful perspective. Um, in Jesus' case, I mean, and fair enough, too. Obedience is not a popular word for a reason. I mean, people don't even say that their dogs go to obedience school anymore. Like, it's just, you know, people have taken it out of bows. And it's because, as humans, we're terrible masters. We're terrible masters. Humans are not good. It's, it's hard to say you're going to be obedient or submitted to any human. But what Jesus is modeling for us here is total obedience and submission to the Father. And a reminder that God is entirely good and worthy of our trust, but it does not always feel that way. We can be in really, really difficult circumstances, and to you know, quote Eugene Peter, the name of Eugene Peterson's book, which I actually have never read, I just like the title, is called The Long Obedience in the Same Direction. So this idea that our view of God's goodness and our obedience and submission to him has to be a long view sometimes, because we all know that there's sometimes where what's happening right now, it's hard to trust. But it's why we get together. It's why we tell each other stories of God's goodness. It's why we remind each other of things that God's done so that, you know, we can keep submitting and keep trusting that God is somebody that's worth obeying. And as far as this being a sustainable outward focus piece, this makes utter and complete total sense to me. This is, to me, the, the key for life in ministry or past, pastoring, teaching, whatever, is that whenever I have not been in submission or obedience to Jesus, and I have made myself God, and I have thought that I was the person that had to solve everybody's problems, and I did not trust Jesus, like, when I was leading here, there were times where I just thought it was all on me. But I realized how much that was me making myself God. My friend Ben Parsons says, Jesus always gets to be Jesus. He never lets anybody else have a turn. <laughs> and that's good. Um, but sometimes that comes as worry or care for other people in our lives, us wanting to fix things. But if we want to live sustainable lives of following God, we have to learn, in my opinion, we have to learn how to hear the voice of God, whatever that looks like to us, and listen to that. Even if it's as simple as, I'm walking down this street right now, and there are five people asking me for change. What do I do? Poor is always going to be with us. There's always going to be need. There will always be more need than we can fill. Jesus left people who were waiting to be prayed for. 
out of obedience to the Father. Jesus rested out of obedience to the Father. It is the key to living a sustainable life that we hear the voice of God. And Jesus is the ultimate example for us. Oh, I think I already said this. Jerusalem, prophets. Oh, I forgot this one point. Sorry, this is another cool thing about the king. A king entering the city in those days had to have a horse that had never been ridden. That was a symbol of being a king. It was a cool thing. Um, so this is um, the other lectionary reading for today that we didn't read out loud, but it's um, from Philippians 2, verse 5. Uh, in your relation, which I'll read it right now, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who in being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, right? This is about his total submission. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, and therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every name should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. can't say it much better than that. So um, to quote a great teacher I heard on this podcast the other day, Gordy Lagore, I cannot love people that I'm trying to impress. And when we're in a mode of trying to impress people, whatever that is, if that's any part of our sustainable outward focus, we're not coming in submission and obedience and humility like Jesus comes. That just checks my heart so much. Because I love to perform. That's not a secret to anybody that knows me. From the time I was little, I mean, I was Amy, right? I was always like, any second now, someone's going to discover me. Woo! So I love to be, you know, the middle of telling a story, the middle of da-da-da-da. But it's so easy for that to cross over into making me the center of what's going on and not, even now, even as I teach right now, right, to not... Like, I want to bring a good message for you guys because I want it to be something compelling. I want God to get a hold of your hearts, right? But to just come submitted, submitted, that Jesus is the one who gets the honor and the glory, right? Like, oh, and I think we have to check that all the time. And so what's interesting about this combination of what I felt like God said about obedience and joy is that I think in our world today, it feels like those two pieces are, are not related to each other. If you're in a position where you're having to be obedient to someone, how could you be joyful? But that's because we're thinking about it from human terms. If you have ever, and I'm sure most of you have, because I know a lot of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time, know the joy that comes from submitting yourself to something that you think that Jesus said and then seeing fruit out of that. Amen. Seeing that surprise and going, oh my gosh, I did what you said and then you made it a thing that was way better than I could have imagined. But that is totally a God concept. And the other thing I loved about this is that my whole life I've been hearing this verse or this story and I always was kind of bummed out about it. Because I like parties and celebrations, but to me, this verse was often preached with like these foolish people who worshiped Jesus and then cursed him later in the week. I didn't get that when I read it this time. This says the disciple, whole crowd of disciples began to praise God with joy. They weren't faking it. They weren't being fickle in that moment. Jesus was finally, finally, finally letting them worship him. He was finally letting them proclaim. Now, we know that they didn't get what kind of king he was going to be, and we know that they didn't totally understand, but who cares? So do we. Do you think the kids that came up this morning the aisle with their palms and singing had a total, complete grasp of this whole eschatology of eternal? Who cares? 
They were here this morning, and they waved their palm branches, and they danced to Jesus. And I felt like that's what the God showed me today. There was nothing fickle for him about the wholehearted worship of the people who worshipped him that day. Even if they got it totally wrong four days later, it does not matter. He lets us try again and again and again, and he did with them. He let them all try again. He even came back with Peter and asked him three times. But there was joy. Our joy was total, his joy was total and complete. And this was straight out of the Psalms. And, and, and in Matthew's gospel, they quote like straight up king verses. You are the king. You're the king, Jesus. You're the king. That can happen in our lives because of hard things that we go through that we lose that capacity to worship Jesus wholeheartedly because we think, yeah, but if I worship now, what's going to happen at the end of the week? Really? I could worship now, but maybe it's all going to go to hell really soon. And I really think that, and it's normal, right? We've been hurt. Our hearts have been hurt. It's hard to worship with total joy. But I, I just had, I had this revelation this time. The reason I mentioned the kids was like, maybe that's why Jesus said, unless we become like little children, right? With good short-term memory loss, it's okay. I'm just going to risk it all. I'm going to let it rip, and I am going to worship you again. I'm going to worship you again in spite of what's happening. today we come to you as the king we come to you as the king and we come to you because we can submit to you and you have the long view but that doesn't mean you discount our pain right now today with our sisters our brothers who are in pain today We have to fight sometimes to recover that peace, recover that peace and not, not be cynical, right? To not be cynical and to say, I'm going to choose joy again today. I'm going to choose joy again today. And this verse in Hebrews that says, let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. And I'm not ignoring what's happening. For those of you who can't hear, see on the podcast, we're just, we're just being with our sister who's grieving right now, just grieving a deep loss. And we can do that. I think it's, I'm not ignoring what's happening right now, Steph. I'm just going to keep, we're just going to keep in this. I, God knew, God knew all what we were going to be doing here today. And so this piece here, this piece, this verse in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, Let's run with perseverance this race that's marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. And um, my friend Karen Chu, who's one of our worship leaders here, most of you know her, she said that God had, she had a revelation from God last year where she was meditating on this verse and she said, what was that joy? What was that joy that was set before you that you could endure the cross? And she felt like the Lord said to her, it was you. It was you. It was us. Right? It was Elsie. It was us. We were the joy that was set before him. And if you keep reading... In these verses, 
after verse 40, where our lectionary reading stops, the next verse, Jesus breaks down and he weeps. He's on this donkey and he is in the middle of this complete scene of joy, revelation. But he looks at the city and he weeps. And I felt the Holy Spirit saying again, his joy didn't leave. It wasn't like he was obedient and then he was joyful and then he wept over the city because he loved the city. It was all one and the same. It was because the joy that was set before him was this city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I longed to gather you. And so those are things that are not not exclusive. So I, I really think that it's totally possible for us as a church to have a sustainable outward focus that's centered around our joy. We had a lot of fun at Christmas time when we went out Christmas caroling and we were just having fun. And then people went, what are you guys doing? And we're like, well, we're singing. <laughs> How come? Because uh, we like singing. We're going to be singing together on Christmas Eve and you can come join us if you want. But for the most part, we just had fun. And I have like if street evangelism post-traumatic stress from my time in YWAM, so I don't love going out on the street. This was so great. And as a leadership team, when we met last week, this is the big plan for sustainable outward focus for the summer. It's like, maybe we have times where we all chip in some money and have pizza together, or maybe we go to the park, and maybe we start telling more people in the neighborhood about it. Hey, we're all going to the park on this day. We're going to have a barbecue again. But I don't know about you guys, but one of the reasons that I keep showing up here is that I really, really, really like you guys. I like being with you. I like being together. I like that we're not all the same. I like that we figure it out anyway. But I think that's part of how we do sustainable outward focus. We just be us with the doors open. So... I think what we can look at what delights us, right? So this was, this was the big thought, the big idea I was trying to say the whole time. I really believe as followers of Jesus, it's impossible for us to have a sustainable outward focus without making Jesus the king of our lives. If we do not have him as Lord, is he's not the boss, and we're submitted to what he's saying to us, I think we will burn out. There's too much need. We are not God. We are not God. We have to listen in obedience to him. And I believe as we ask for God's direction and we follow that kingly example of submitted obedience and welcoming joy, I think those are keys in sustaining us and protecting us and strengthening us as we're trying to follow Jesus and share his love with the world. So there's a lot of questions here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look to Gordy and Kathleen for some direction as to what the Spirit's saying for the particular thing for ministry time. But these are some things that I wanted to invite you to ask yourselves. Is Jesus King, Lord, over every area of your lives? What are the parts you're still hanging on for control? And is there something that you feel like Jesus has told you or asked you to do that you've left undone? So by God's grace, get some prayer for that. It takes strength sometimes to believe that it's for your good and for his glory. But that is my, I believe that with my whole heart. With my whole heart. And then secondly, not mutually exclusive, What is giving you joy, and are you sharing that thing with Jesus? Are you acknowledging that that's from him, and for you, and for him? And maybe this is the way you need to go, instead of what have I left undone, because that can be, I think it it can be, we don't want to do guilt a lot at this church, we don't really roll very well with that, but I I felt it was important to ask to do a check-in today about Jesus being Lord of your lives. But there's also this piece of, do you have any idea what it is about you that delights Jesus so much. You were the joy that was set before him. He saw you. He thought about you. 
And not just you individually, he thought about y'all, us. We're the joy. So what delights him? So let's ask the Holy Spirit. Got a word? Got a thing? Yeah. Here. Is it okay if I pray? I think I'm going to pray. And then you bring. Yeah. Oh, Lord. You're with us. You're in it, Lord. Right in the middle of us today. Right, literally, right in the middle of us today. You're here with us, God. You are not blind to one thing that we are going through. You are not ignorant. You're not deaf or dumb. You have not turned away. You are in the middle with our, with our coats down on the ground, with anything that we could scrape off of the trees, with our, whatever thing we brought with us to make you a, a kingly saddle. And uh, Lord, I ask you today that you would help us bring the best of us to you today. Bring us what, whatever we brought with us today, Lord, to lay down. Mm-hmm. To lay it down at your feet, knowing that you you don't ever trample us, Lord. And we acknowledge you as king. We worship you as king. And you're worthy to be praised. You're worthy. You're worthy to be followed. Come, Holy Spirit, minister to us, Lord. Minister to us. We need you so badly today, God. We need you so much. King Jesus. I worship you. You are the King Jesus. Our, our, our scars, our scars are so beautiful to you. You are a wounded healer, Lord. You bear your scars still. Our scars are so beautiful to you, God. Just, just stay really quiet. <clears throat> I, I just feel the Holy Spirit wants to release us an assurance to us. He's wiping away all anxiety because what He's planted in us will be reaped. What has been sown will be reaped. And I think Gordy might call Rose to come and share in a minute a very specific word she's had. But in prayer, we I. Before this service, when she talked about it, it had such a vivid picture of the front of our home, which is full of beautiful tulips. And last year, there was only two colors that I can recall. And then all of a sudden, I walked out in front of my house and I saw there was like probably eight times the colors. There was purple and red and yellow. And I was just kind of thrown back and then the same day I just came back in from looking and admiring these beautiful tulips and I thought to myself did Andy and Alyssa plant those tulips and I didn't even know and of course they did and then a woman was walking by and she had a little boy and they stopped oh how beautiful these tulips are look at how beautiful the variety the color and there was even somebody who went by and put their dog in front of the tulips. I took a picture with the dog in front of the tulips. It was just like an assurance from the Holy Spirit so profoundly right now as Joanna has shared that what God has put in you is deeply rooted and is going to bloom, is going to blossom. And even, Stephanie, I want to say this to you, your beautiful daughter, what God put in her, 
planted in her has bloomed. It really has. And I see it on the faces and the lives of all your family and friends as we gathered. And so we just thank you, Jesus, for Elsie, even today as a community, that Stephanie's here. We thank you for that, that she was a tulip that was planted, and that tulip bloomed. And, Lord, that you would wipe away all anxiety and all insecurity about what you're doing in us, individually, but also in our families, that what has been sowed into our families, into our sons and into our daughters, is going to be reaped. It's going to, and it is blooming and blossoming, just like the tulips. Thank you, Joanna. It's a lovely word. And I think it's just important for us to be family together. Weep with those that weep. Rejoice with those that rejoice. And it's often bittersweet. It's mm -hmm. often a mix. Mm -hmm. That's what Palm Sunday is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's this last week of Jesus' life. And, and I, I agree. I think there was just genuine joy says it was his disciples but of course they had no idea what kind of king he was still and so if you're bearing disappointment or disillusionment or frustration or some of those uh, those things that grate against your heart and spirit know that that does not need to preclude worship yeah. you can bring it all before him and let him, let him just walk with you in that and know that it doesn't preclude obedience. And doesn't, you don't have to feel good. And so as we enter this, this holy week, I think it's just really, it's just a lovely gentleness and grace. I'd love it if some of you could come and and just be part of the readings. We're going to have three different places where we stop, and this church will be one of them. So if you can help with just reading the narrative this week, uh, maybe send me an email, let me know. We're just going to do it with the four other churches, maybe five or six, actually. I think some from West Coast are coming. And uh, we're just going to walk the two blocks, walk the block here from the Longhouse and then over to Ward Memorial. And uh, it's just always such a moving and beautiful mm -hmm. witness on Good Friday. And uh, let's just continue to walk alongside Stephanie, bring meals, reach out. Uh, the funeral's over. Now the hard part, the long journey, the wilderness of, of trying to come to grips with life without your loved one mm -hmm. there. It's very, very hard. That's what the family of God is for. And we love you, sis. Yeah. So let's stand together. <clears throat> forgot to mention, um, I, I know most of you don't know her, except in, unless you've been to Lower Post. But we're, just seems to be a lot of grief these days, but we've lost a dear elder, uh, Fanny. Passed away. Um, I think it was yesterday. So we just had a good visit with her when we were there and had no idea that it was that far gone. It was stomach cancer. Uh, so again, the, lower, the community of the Lower Post is grieving because Fanny was just a person of joy. I'll never forget her laugh. Her laugh was just, we called her the Bannock Queen and just had so many wonderful memories, often stayed in her home. So, Lord, we just remember our friends in Lower Post today for Steve. She's Steve's, Jacesta's sister, Peter's sister. And obviously deeply missing and grieving. And we pray for your grace and comfort to be with them today as well. For Frances, she's her, her cousin. 
Lord Jesus, for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross. And so, Lord, for the joy that we may not necessarily be feeling right now, but is set before us, we will endure with you. We will walk with you, knowing that you are walking with us and that there is grace for each day, grace for each moment. In our uncertainty, in our unsettledness, in our disorientation, when we don't know up from down, you're our cornerstone. You're our solid rock, our refuge. Through the storm, Lord, our anchor holds in you, the solid rock. So we walk with that faith and assurance today. I thank you for my beautiful community, this beautiful church family, for their authenticity, their genuineness, their heart, Lord, to follow you and to, to not try to make something happen if it isn't, to just be who we are, to not have to be impressive, knowing that that's all, all we need to be is who you've called us to be. And so we walk in that blessing. We hear your blessing today. Take us, Lord. Bless us. Break us. And give us away. Give us away, Lord. Knowing that as we submit ourselves to that, you just have an amazing way of just multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. That there's more where that came from. There's more where that came from. So just receive that blessing. For some of you that are feeling grief and loss today, there's maybe hard to believe it, hard to comprehend it, but there's more where that came from. And he's not done. He's not done. So we bless you to walk into the blessings of this holy week. knowing that there is resurrection that waits on the other side. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.